hope, aspiration, connection, belonging, culture. These are the stories we tell. Join me as I speak to storytellers from across the world and hear about what inspires them to create the reality they want to live in. Domo, welcome to the stories we tell. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a new kind of podcast, so let's see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. So, Toma, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and want, want to have you as one of my very early guests is there probably is no storyteller like you, certainly in the Bitcoin world, right? You've uh, you blazed the trail with writing stories of fiction uh, about Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've certainly been inspired by that. That's what inspired me to write my novel uh, on, on Bitcoin, you know, story of a book of fiction on Bitcoin as well, but certainly the trail that folks like you uh, blazed uh, helped that. So why don't we start with uh, what, what are your thoughts on storytelling in general, yeah. right? And then specifically how we use that as a tool to draw people into Bitcoin. Sure. Well, storytelling is an art and I, I don't mean just, oh, it's a fancy, it, it literally is art, right? A form of art. What is a form of art? It's an attempt to concretize some ideas in, into a form that you can touch them because human beings have ideas and you can't really touch ideas, but you can make a sculpture which physicalizes an idea, or you can have an idea about how things ought to be in the world and you can concretize it through the telling of a story. And we of course tell history, which contains the word story. We try to tell the story, the, the stories that actually happened and learn from them and take ideas from them. And so this idea of stories and ideas are very, very closely linked together, both of ideas that we learn from what happened in the real world and what we'd like to see happen or what might be possible. And I think that's what, that's what stories are. And I think Bitcoin is a super interesting phenomenon that's happening in a few ways. Uh, one is it is a story that's unfolding before our very eyes and more interesting, like, like there's many stories unfolding before our very eyes, but what's so unique about it is it is almost an unbelievable story. I mean, like if it weren't for the fact that we could verify it, it reads like, it reads like an idealized story. Like the story of Satoshi Nakamoto is almost unbelievable, right? And I wrote in one of my pieces called The Legendary Treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto, how if it weren't for the fact that we have documented and proved and verified everything that happened, this would very quickly be dismissed as a myth, right? He, here comes somebody out of the blue wearing a mask, essentially, nobody can identify who they are, just like a superhero in the, in the stories we tell about superheroes, which aren't true. But here he comes and he manages to hide behind a mask and no one can figure out his secret identity. And he does something that requires a superpower to do. He solves this unsolvable mathematical problem that's known as the double spend problem or the Byzantine general's problems. And he solves it. And it was proven that you couldn't solve it. But he, he finds a clever way to solve it uh, in a way that nobody had thought it could be solved. So he, he solves this problem and the solution to the problem is an invention that he gives to the world. And this invention, like this crazy computer that seems to come only from fiction, 
is alive. Nobody can stop it. It takes on a life of its own. It recruits people. He disappears. You know, he leaves behind the mask. He he vanishes. Again, nobody can find him. Nobody knows what became of him. It's a great mystery. But the thing continues to thrive and survive. And it goes to battle in a sense or gets attacked by all the greatest evils in the world and it fends them off. I mean, this reads like a comic book, right? It, it's it's almost unbelievable. And yet it's happening before our eyes and we're participating in the story. So like, we're living in a story, which is amazing. And I think this to me is the inspiration that Bitcoin gives to want to tell its story in an emotional and idealized way. Uh, not just to say, you know, there, there is this thing and to take the passion out of it, to leave the passion in it because the passion that comes and the emotion that comes in stories and the ideas attached to them is what gives them their life. And so here we have this wonderful opportunity to live in a heroic story and be part of a heroic story that's that's true. Um, and so to strip that away would be to strip away perhaps the most important part of Bitcoin. Like, what is the meaning of Bitcoin? It, its meaning is what all these superhero comic books tell us. Like, you can fight evil. You can beat evil. You can do, you can be great. You can't, we can have heroes. And I know that there's um, this saying, never meet your heroes. And, and Bitcoin kind of embrace that. But I, I wrote one piece called, don't tell me there are no heroes in Bitcoin. Because I think that there actually are a lot of heroes in Bitcoin. And of course, Satoshi was the greatest of all, but it's um, it's an incredible story. And it's important to tell the story from this perspective and not to just shy away and say, well, it's just some math and just some physics or it's just money. It's a whole lot more than that. It's the reason we tell stories. And this is a story that people know, at least in broad strokes, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're not deeply involved in the Bitcoin world, you've heard the story. What what do you think it is, Toma, that you know, we there's there's so few of us, right? It's less than a million people, I would say, right, who who are captured by it. Why has the story not permeated more? Well, it's early days. It's early days still. I mean, I, I think this story is incredibly compelling and is catching on quite quickly when you think of other stories in history that took time to catch on they took hundreds of years often, right? Or they, or, or they took place through force. They, there was a violent revolution somewhere or a violent overthrow of a government. And the new, the new government says, okay, this is what you all believe. Uh, but nobody really believes that they know that the story is we were forced into something by violence. Bitcoin has forced nobody into, into it through violence. It only works through persuasion and consensual acknowledgement. And it takes to become convinced of the story that Bitcoin is good money, which isn't the whole story, right? Which is what you're talking about, that there's a million people up to become convinced that that is where you should go. Convinced, not forced at the point of a gun that you can do very quickly to somebody, but convinced takes time and it's a complicated story too. So I, th I think there's a distinction. I, I think if you ask the man on the street, have you heard about Bitcoin? 95% of people will say, yeah, so I've heard about it. They won't have the whole story. They'll have some other interpretation of the story. And this again goes to the importance of storytelling, right? Like they have heard a version of the story that says, oh, didn't it die? Isn't it something that the government's going to stop? Isn't it associated with drugs? Isn't it associated with terrorism? Doesn't, isn't it bad for the environment? Doesn't it waste energy? So the, all these stories have been spun up. And, uh, and so they sit with the man on the street. But it is interesting 
that everybody's heard some story of Bitcoin, like the brand awareness of Bitcoin, despite the fact that it has no marketing campaign and no advertising and no direct employees and is, is pretty remarkable, right? Like the word has gotten out. How did this thing that was created by somebody who nobody knows who they are and who abandoned the project after, who left the project after less than two years after having launched it, how is it that 15 years later, everybody's heard of it and the thing continues to grow? And I think that's a really interesting story too. And the story of how different people hear different versions of its story and ultimately are persuaded um, is itself another interesting story. So I, like the passion that people who fall in love with the story have for sharing the story is fantastic. And it is, you know, there's these two paths by which Bitcoin grows. People tell other people, oh, you should buy some because you'll get rich quick. And then other people tell them there's a, there's a real story here. There's a story about justice and heroism and truth and rights and freedom. Um, and the two stories aren't necessarily in conflict with one another, but the get rich quick one is one that people get kind of excited about, or, or they, they want to get rich quick. And then they go to shit coins because they hear, well, they can get you rich quick too. They've got the same narrative. Uh, and sometimes people see, oh, well, the price goes down. So it's not necessarily a true story, but the story of it's unstoppable and it's a new form of money and it's just and it's fair and it, and it adheres to the way that human civilization thrives. That's a story that never changes. There's never a moment where it kind of goes down. It just keeps going up and up, even through its rough parts. And it is going through its own hero's journey. Like, the, you know, in, the, in all these superhero tales or these hero stories, the hero doesn't just da -di -da, show up and everyone says, oh, you're great. That's fantastic. Thanks for showing up. Uh, we'll all do what you suggest. They confront challenges. They confront crises. They come close to the verge of death. And, and they're attacked by bad guys. And sometimes you don't even know they're the good guy until something revealed, you know, there's some pivot. And I think that's, that's a lot of these, uh, the part of the story of Bitcoin. It's like pe people can vilify it, right? There's stories that, that do attempt to vilify Bitcoin. And it's not until you are able to step a little bit further back and say, wait, maybe the people who are vilifying it are actually the villains, right? Who's doing what sort of good in, in the world? Um, and and what are we fighting for and who's right and who's wrong? So it makes you question all of these things about who, what's right and what's wrong. And it's a personal journey that you end up going through. So you have a personal story. And, and again, I think this is where it's so exciting to be a part of Bitcoin at this point in time, because it's taking the real world and putting it through a story that we've heard a hundred times before, but we thought it was constrained to the realm of fiction. And no, it's not. It's like, here's the real world battle, good versus evil, honesty versus deceptiveness, all these massive themes that we have experienced um, through storytelling, we're now experiencing in a very unique way uh, here, because it's not, it's not the same story that plays over and over and over. Like, the story that plays over and over and over again in our lives is some politician shows up, he promises or she promises to make everything fine, we fall for their person charm, their personality. We vote for them and they let us down. And it's a, and it's a cycle that just repeats over and over. It's not an interesting story anymore. It's just like, which politician is going to let us down now? Do you want to vote for politician A or politician B who you, if you actually genuinely have fallen for them again, you have some hope and then they let down the hope. And, and so this becomes a cycle of our life of like, mm, you know, we keep getting let down by leaders. 
And then we have a different story now to live, which is we're our own leaders. We have an opportunity to take control back away from leaders. We have a system without leaders. We have rules without rulers. And it's met, the way that it came to be is so fascinating. You know, it, it's shrouded in mystery and secrecy and uses secretive technologies, cryptography and hiding. And so it's sneaking around trying to forge away for itself. It is this counter movement. Um, and so there's so many different ways to tell this story. Many of them for me personally revolve around Satoshi and paying homage to the brilliance of his mind to in, invent what he did, the uh, carefulness of the execution to maintain his hiding, both for his own sake and for the sake of the project. Uh, and then his um, his tremendous benevolence that he gave the, he gave this to the world and didn't exploit it for his own benefit. He never cashed in the to the coins, never spent them. He, he didn't seek fame. Nobody knows who he is. He didn't seek power. He's not at the top pulling the strings saying this is the next fork and that is. Uh, so he didn't seek money, power, or fame. He just did this for the sake of giving the world a gift. And so like that is truly heroic as well. And it's, it's, all, it's again, almost unbelievable in this world because every one of these politicians that we see or businessmen we see are in it for themselves. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but when they're in it for themselves through deception or we find ourselves uh, powerless in the system that they've built that we've opted into, we're resentful because we want to be free in this, in the Bitcoin system. We're all equal. We're all free. Satoshi doesn't have, he doesn't even play anymore, but he doesn't have power over us. Um, and none of us have power over each other. Right. So it's, it's a phenomenal story. It is interesting Tomo, that, you know, one of the things you touched upon is there are two parallel stories that are happening, right? One is the story of Bitcoin itself. Mm -hmm. that draws people in. But then once they're in, and we've seen this with, with Bitcoiners, especially the hardcore Bitcoiners, it's a pattern that repeats over and over again, that they go through their own story, right? And perhaps they're hooked by the number go up narrative. Yeah. That's what brought them in, in yeah. the first place. But then they go through their own personal transformation as they understand yeah. more about what this 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 asset is, what this network yeah. is, what this... right. Uh, this community, to the extent that there is one of plebs yes. that, that support it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When you watch someone go through their journey, uh, it's exciting because, because you don't know exactly where they're going to end up. Are they going to maintain their conviction? Are they going to grow their conviction? Or are they going to fall off the wagon, uh, you know, betray, try to make money quick with uh, an altcoin or, or cave into government pressure and, and back off. And, and when you see the people who maintain their conviction and grow their conviction, that becomes a story in and of itself. You know, like you take a look at Michael Saylor as an example, there's a, there's a really exciting story there when you actually follow his story. I mean, he came, he first saw Bitcoin in 2013, wrote it off, said, uh, this is going to go the way of online gambling or online poker and ignored it. And then various things happened in his life. Uh, and he rediscovered Bitcoin again in 2020 and started to go all in and went all in further and further and hasn't, you know, and learned aggressively in Bitcoin and, and then t began teaching about Bitcoin and put his money where his mouth is, his whole, 
his personal fortune, his corporate fortune, and has maintained the conviction over and over and over again. Every quarter, you, everybody gasps when they hear he, you know, MicroStrategy bought another five million, fifty million, whatever it is in in Bitcoin. There's a story there about conviction and unwaveringness and every quarter along the way, especially, you know, he started coming in in the mid teens and watch it go up to 69 and watch it go back down to the high teens. That would have thrown a lot of people off, right? Like, and you can imagine inside the company, people must have been saying uh, the, you know, are, are you sure you're leading us in the right direction? Is this the end of the thing? And time after time, time and again, conviction, and also the manner in which he he went through this, right? He didn't, he didn't go about this in a sneaky way. He said, you know, MicroStrategy is concerned about, if you rewind, MicroStrategy is concerned about its balance sheet, about the dollars on its balance sheet. We're going to buy either gold or silver or Bitcoin. Uh, and they told everybody this before they did it. So if you, if you weren't on the ship, you could abandon ship, right? And then he once again said, we're going to now, now that we've done this, we're going to buy more Bitcoin. We're going to go on a Bitcoin standard. If you don't like this idea, I'm offering to buy your shares, right? The company offered to buy back shares. And the amazing part of that story is, well, maybe some people sold their shares, but more people bought shares. Like there was a flood of people who said, I want to go on this journey with you, Michael, with this company, MicroStrategy. I, we want to sail on the good ship MicroStrategy to the new world. And and off he went. And, and it's just been unending conviction ever since. So it's like, it's an amazing story to tell. Um, and there's, there's lots of ways to tell it, but, um, but ag again, you know, he, here's someone and you just see his excitement, right. And you see his conviction and you see how many people he's persuaded and how excited they've become. So it's like, it's a story of, of leadership and it's a story of conviction and it's a story of in intelligence there too. I don't want to make it seem like Michael Saylor's the, the great hero of Bitcoin, but he's, he's someone who deserves and warrants our admiration and whose story deserves to be told because it's another story. It's not the story of the creator of Bitcoin as Satoshi's is it's the story of how Bitcoin helps someone find their way and find justice in this world and find other people who want to go on the same journey with them to the, to this land of justice that also contains wealth, right? There's nothing wrong with abundance and wealth and, and the alignment of conviction and truth and integrity with wealth is really a very, another very powerful idea. And, uh, and, and I think that story as it continues to play out, right? If the chapter is not over yet, or the, the story is not over yet, but where it goes is really exciting. Lots of people love to follow it again, also a story filled with challenges, right? Um, not, it's not just, oh, he bought in and he succeeded and what a genius he is. It's like, no, there's, he, there were moments of truth where he might've, uh, he might've abandoned ship, but he didn't. And that conviction will pay off in the long run. And that's, and there's a lesson there for that in that for other people to say, perseverance matters, right? There's a virtue called perseverance. And when pers you know, and that's not just blindly doing what you said you would do in the face of all evidence, it's continuing to do what you would do knowing what you know, despite the fact that the world is fighting against what you know is right. That's where perseverance really comes in. To our great and lesson. in a small, small way to Omar, right, obviously not comparable to Michael Saylor, but some of us who've been through a couple of Bitcoin cycles have learned to develop that muscle, right? We, just, we sit through 
wild swings in our purchasing power in Bitcoin, right? I mean, you could call it yes. the dollar price of Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, it certainly strengthens you in that way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we all learned the lesson. The Michael Saylor story is very public and very big. And that's what that's what makes it a story that's kind of interesting, worth telling at large. But the story of individual Bitcoiners is also interesting. I think I think back again, and I actually I to the fork wars, the block size wars, as as they were as they were called. There was an incredible story there as well, right? And again, little guys versus big guys, right? The the big guys were all the big corporations early into Bitcoin, the mining companies, the GBTCs, the Coinbase's, and they wanted to make a change that would essentially end the decentralization of Bitcoin. And the little guys fought it. And the little guys ended up winning and they ended up winning because they were committed and they were smart and they were ready to die for it. They're, they were ready to blow up Coinbase and their own fortunes in the process. And, and it, it was ultimately that that got all the big companies to back down because they could see that they weren't going to win. They, you know, it was essentially a game of chicken and the plebs took the steering wheel out and threw it out the window and said, like, you know, you've got a choice. You can steer out of the way or we can go head on and both and both end this thing, because this thing without its decentralization isn't worth isn't worth anything. Uh, and that was and that was this moment of truth. And when I when it came time for me to write about that, I, I actually wrote it as though it was a fiction. Like, like I, I didn't fictionalize anything. It was all true reporting. But I wrote it in the style, which was fictional, of a. Uh, uh, soldiers' memoirs, right? Like for someone in the trenches fighting the war, per, uh, this personal memoir, and going through the emotions that we went through at the time, not just saying, well, you know, A happened, then B happened, then C happened. It was like, what was the exciting, thrilling, terrifying, a finally relieving moment in the block size war? And, you know, I'll leave it, I'll give you the link you can put in the show notes for people to read it because it's a bit of a lengthy piece called. What, what did I call it? Uh, cyber soldier, freedom fighter. Uh, and I'm talking, you know, about like, this is the first war that was ever fought in cyberspace. And how dare I call it a war? Because no blood was spilled, nobody yeah. was killed. But what's the metaphor put that in the, that makes put that in the show um, notes, Delmar? I'm, suitable I'm sure to call it uh, the viewers who haven't read it would uh, certainly appreciate reading it. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about one of your stories, but uh, which is the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto. But I do. But there's a question before that, tying into yeah. the Michael Sale, and then you mentioned the word abundance, right? Did did you find in your journey that uh, when you started off, you had a very uh, specific idea of what money would bring you? And may, well, I certainly did, right? I used to equate money to happiness. And I know a lot of others who did, right? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. If, I, if only I had more money, then I'd be just fine, right? I'll, I'll buy the mm -hmm. stuff that I need. And then you 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 start diving deeper and deeper into into Bitcoin, and then which is really the study of money, mm -hmm. among several other things. But it is yeah. a it deepens your understanding of money. And as you become more and more of a Bitcoin fundamentalist, you realize, oh, I I certainly realize that it's not about the money. I mean, it's, we, we need a stable money, but that, that's... It we have to be careful when we use that expression. No like, it's not about the Did money. You find it's that about happen to you? the money, right? Like, there's, there's a subtle... It's not about having more money than everybody else so that you can use it frivolously. It's about people having and using a money that's fair and just and doesn't steal from common people. And so it's about, it's, it's about justice, right? It's about just money. It's not just about money. It's about just money. And 
and this is where kind of the I, I you can have a lot of fun with the words, but you realize that a society with a broken money is a broken society, uh, and that's and that's what we're experiencing all of us right now. Right, this story takes place is set in a world where there's a broken money and you have an elite class that's taking advantage of the broken money and you have a middle class that's withering away and shriveling up and losing its hope and its younger generation doesn't know how to even afford housing food all these things are problematic and there's a lack of health and so the whole civilization is unhealthy as a civilization and the individuals within it are mentally unhealthy physically unhealthy they're feeling hopelessness that's the backdrop of the story of bitcoin right it launches in the middle of a financial crisis caused by bankers and and governments that ordinary people had nothing to do with the cause of it they were they were driven into it and so it takes it takes place in this terrible uh, world and it, it's a story of hope that the whole civilization can rise above it through the actions of one particular hero who invents the thing and then a flood of of other individuals who embrace it and and spread it out throughout the world and so you end up with all these stories in different locations in the world um, of how hope is brought is brought back about and the people who drive hope through through storytelling, through software development, through constructing new businesses. It's a really exciting series of stories. Yeah, indeed. And speaking of an exciting story, uh, the legendary treasurer Satoshi Nakamoto, I, I know, Tomo, when we were last chatting, yeah. uh, you you told me something uh, incredible about how the ending, uh, yeah. right? What, what the treasure is, how that uh, came about yeah. while you were writing it. But uh, yeah. would you mind sharing First of all, what, the outline of of that story, and then and then the sure. the ending itself, the realization sure. that hit you. Yeah, and I really encourage people to read it. I, and if I if if there's some spoilers here, and you haven't read it yet, uh, then I then I almost encourage you to pause this <laughs> and listen to it or read it. There's a Guy Swan reading of it, and I'm actually going to be reading it on another podcast that I'm recording tomorrow, but I'm not sure when it's released. So there might be a live reading by me uh, on the Bitcoin matrix that people can pause and listen to. Um, you know, when you, if I tell you about a movie, it's not the same as watching the movie, but I'm going to tell you about, about the movie or the story here, at least. The story came about, I found that myself and a lot of other people I was talking to were experiencing like a spiritual awakening. Uh, by becoming having become Bitcoiners, whether it was finding religion or finding a belief in hope again, or 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 some kind of spiritual connection that that our lives lacked before, a lot of this was happening. And, and the night before I sat down to first start writing this piece, I had a very lengthy conversation uh, with another Bitcoiner about spirituality, and we taught, touched on a lot of topics. So I went to sleep with a lot of these ideas in my head. And I woke up the next morning and I wanted to write something about this. And so I, I wanted to write why Bitcoin creates a spiritual awakening for people. And I, and I sat down and I started to put my thoughts together. And, and I realized it began with this story of Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, and I've, I've mentioned bits and pieces of this story, but I said, you know, like when you hear this story, you you would be inclined to disbelieve it to say okay this is this is a nice story of fiction but it can't be real it can't be that some mysterious person appeared with a solution to an impossible problem and and created 
multi-billion dollar personal fortune out of it, but never spent it and didn't do this for money or power or fame. And it, but it turns out it's true, right? And so the more that you're confronted with the truth of it, the more it shatters things that you didn't believe, which is what makes the story so hard to believe in the first place. Like we are raised to believe that we're selfish beings who ultimately want money, power, and or fame. And so there's no example of someone who can't do it. But Satoshi comes around and can't and, and does this thing, not for money, power, or fame. We also live in a society where we're told, well, the government is all powerful. And here he comes and single-handedly creates something that the, the government can't stop. And all the governments together can't stop. So it's this, here he's done this thing. And we're told that corporations can take everything over and acquire and purchase because that's what big companies do. And no company can acquire and take over Bitcoin. No group of companies can try. Facebook tries to form an alliance of Visa and this and that to create whatever it was that their token was. And they fail. And they come at it. So all, all these people come at this invention and they... and. And it stands there and it shatters your beliefs. Corporations are not all powerful, you learn. The government is not all powerful. People can be so brilliant as to solve problems that other brilliant people claimed were impossible. They had proof that you couldn't solve a double spend problem. Well, he solved it anyways. And, and people can do this to give the world a gift rather than to succeed in their power, money, or fame. So this, so this one story, shatters all these beliefs. It tells you these things that you believed, all these assumptions that you had about the government and yourself and corporations, they're not true. They may be generally common, but they're not absolute truths. And if you believe that they were absolute truths, you now have all this, all these things contradicted. Like so much of what you walked around in the world assuming it doesn't believe. So it's shattered. It shatters all your old beliefs, all these cynical beliefs that we're raised, uh, raised with. And what does that do? That leaves a vacuum. And it leaves a vacuum to say, well, what might the world be like? What, in fact, is it like if corporations aren't all powerful and governments aren't all powerful and money, power, fame are not the only things that can drive me and my and my friends and the people who I live around? Maybe we can love each other. Maybe we can build things that won't be taken over. And so and that's the source of the spiritual awakening, right? Because now you live in a different world than the world you lived in before. You, you used to, you presumed you lived in a world where all these things were true. And now your eyes are open and you see these things are not true. And so this one story, aside from being this incredible invention that does all these other things, gives you the inspiration, gives you the hope to start asking questions and exploring them without the premise that this must be true because the government says it is, or this must be, this must be the outcome because a corporation will ultimately take it over. Or this, you know, this is, is doomed to a terrible ending because people are terrible. Like none of those things are true. So you now live in a, in a new world that you have to examine. And as I was writing this piece, like one chapter after another of this came to me that, you know, Bitcoin asks you to look at money and ask what is, what is money? What is pure money? What is money separated from institutions, separated from the government, separated from central banks? separated even from matter itself. And when you ask what pure money is, I go, I go on the story to explain what it is. So I, I won't, I won't answer what pure money is here I'll leave an inducement for people to go and, and read it. But you realize it's something that's separated from all these other things that claim to speak on its behalf can be pure and innocent and good. 
despite the fact that these institutions that have wrapped their tentacles around it are not good. And so when you separate the things, you say, well, you know, the it's the institutions that are evil. Money's not evil. Money is just a peaceful exchange between two people who want to exchange something that they have a value with each other. There's nothing harmful about that. That's actually, you know, that's, you know, there's one way, there's two ways to get something from somebody by force or through trade. And the money allows you to do it through trade, force being the evil. Uh, so it's the antithesis of evil. Um, and and when you ask that question about money, you start to then be able to explore. And I think this is, again, one of the things that happens for Bitcoiners. They start to untangle all these other ideas from uh, from the institutions to tackle them. Like, what is education apart from the institutions that claim a monopoly on it? Right. Education isn't sitting in a classroom and being lectured at. Education is learning learning some truth about reality uh, and maybe even discovering new truths about reality. That doesn't have to happen in a school that's government funded and has a curriculum dictated from on high. People learned long before governments took over learning, but now we have this monopolized system of learning. And the same is true of what is healthcare aside from medical regulatory establishments and pharmaceutical companies and all these other things. So you start to separate all the entanglements uh, that exist in our civilization around us. And all, all this begins by you asking the question, what is pure money? And finding the different, a very surprising answer. So you start asking, what is pure anything? What is pure education? What is pure healthcare? Um, what is pure spirituality? Uh, aside from the institutions that claim to speak on behalf of spirits. Um, and and so th there's just this amazing path of discovery where you can learn for yourself. It's not necessarily easy, but it's it's much more genuine than just being fed uh, facts and dictates that you can't verify for yourself. The whole verification piece comes in. And and I go through a number of these things and then I end up with saying, well, so what really is what really is the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto? You know, he left behind a million coins and uh, and it's the biggest pile of Bitcoin in the world, right? Um, so it's it's the most valuable pile of Bitcoin. It's worth billions of dollars. And if it becomes all the money in the world, it'll be the biggest pile of money in the world. And nobody can touch it. Everyone can see it, right? The blockchain is perfectly visible. But the way that Bitcoin works is you cannot steal somebody else's pure money. Pure money cannot be stolen. Um, and so I go into what I think the implications of that are. Uh, and I won't spoil that. Uh, other than to say that's not the final thing that uh, that I point out that it's just a monument to what the real treasure that Satoshi teaches us is, and it's about ourselves. So I'm just going to leave it at that uh, because I I can't do it justice in summarizing it, and uh, I, I encourage people to listen to or uh, read the article. So I'll maybe leave it at that. Yeah. We certainly don't want to give out too many spoilers and want to encourage folks to read that article because it is, uh, I'll read that story, I should say, uh, because it's quite remarkable. But uh, Tomo, when you wrote that, especially the ending, right? Yeah. What I, I remember you telling me yeah. that that insight was almost a spiritual insight that you received. Yeah. I mean, this, this is kind of one of the things that's amazing about, about writing. I, the best writing is is channeled from some kind of spiritual place. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but if you completely surrender yourself into the creative process, you end up in a state that many people just call flow. 
you end up in the flow state. I found myself in the flow state as I was writing that particular piece. I didn't think I was going to write about the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto. I thought I was writing a piece called Why Bitcoin is a Spiritual Awakening for Many. But when I, when I completed the, the first four parts prior to writing about the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto, all this stuff was in me somehow. And I felt like I heard a voice, you know, whether it was from within me or without me, it's saying, now you can actually put together the story of what Satoshi's million coins represents. And so I started writing, well, they, they are, they are this untouchable monument that everyone in the world will see that's going to be here and it's going to stand forever because of the blockchain is going to live forever. And that was pretty profound. And I was hearing what it stands for. Like it stands for the fact that one man can do something that other people say is impossible and it stands there forever to show that. And it does represent the fact that corporations aren't all powerful and can't take control over, acquire everything. And it stands there forever to show that. And it shows that governments can't dictate everything and that people can take control and stands there forever to show that. And just a list of things came over that we can understand purity and we can understand ourselves. And it's like, Satoshi's coins and Bitcoin are this indestructible monument uh, to the spirit of all the things that cause the spiritual awakening in it. And then, and then uh, uh, tears were like pouring down my face as I was ex recognizing and realizing all this. And, and then, and then the big insight came that the coins are not themselves a treasure and that something else uh, is that, which is tied to this process that people go through. That's the real treasure. What comes out at the end for you personally is a treasure that's not about money. And, um, and, and that's, what's really remarkable. I feel that that's kind of a message that was somehow given to me or discovered by me. I, I don't really know. I, I, I personally feel, you know, I say discovered by me for the people who aren't spiritual. I feel like from a personal perspective, it was a message that was given to me from something, uh, very powerful and, and very good in the universe, uh, to tell people you are good. You are the greatest treasure that exists and discovering yourself and being yourself is is a big part of what this gift is so the personal journey right it's not just michael saylor's journey which can serve as an inspiration but your personal journey is the most valuable thing you will get out of bitcoin not the money but the discovery of your your potential yourself what you love about you and what it takes to to love yourself yeah and so, and when, certainly when I heard you tell that story, uh, Tomar, it was incredibly moving, right? The, the way you described it. And because it's very real, it's, it, it's, been, it's I've had the similar journey, right? Mm -hmm. that, that discovery that it's not about the money, right? It's right. about something deeper than that. Right. Uh, a, a deeper con a connection to, to the world, to, to the universe even. Yeah. Um, so maybe changing tracks a little bit, uh, Tomar, from that story to a story ahead what a, do you have any exciting plans for new stories to tell anything you can disclose <clears throat> you, i never really know when the next thing is going to come i have an out at one point you know create being creative or taking a look at a creative side is uh is a very unpredictable experience uh, so at one point i had written several stories about bitcoin and i thought okay you know maybe my job is to be bitcoin's storyteller i actually thought that um and i so i create and i had written a children's story which i haven't published yet people can find it on um, the once bitten podcast 
it's also about Satoshi Nakamoto, but it's a story for kids, right? The, I'd say the legendary treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto is for adults. Uh, this book, Satoshi Nakamoto and his Bitcoin invention, as you can even tell by the title, is for like seven to 12 year olds. And, uh, and so I, I had written this children's book and I was inspired to publish it. And I was inspired to write a whole collection of Bitcoin stories, some of which, one of which would have been the legendary treasure and, and a whole bunch of others, but things being what they are, one thing led to another. And I kind of forgot about the project. Um, and I had a science fiction idea, which I've written in a, I've written a very light introduction to it. Um, and again, science fiction or science fact, when things are projections into the future, they might be true, uh, which is, um, which is a story called moving heaven and earth. And I can give you the link on that. And I, I've published that just as a dialogue on medium, but, um, so it's, it's published as a story being told from one person to another. Um, but I'd like to make something bigger out of it. Uh, I'd like to actually turn it into a film or a series or, or something like that. And it really just speaks to what might Bitcoin do for us over, not the course of the next hundred years, not even the course of the next thousand or million years, but over the course of hundred million or 200 million years. Uh, and it's, and it's interesting because, you know, we've never had something that was built to last forever before, but Bitcoin is designed to last forever that you're never going to run out of hash solutions. So you'll never run out of block identifiers. It can keep on going forever. The database is designed to just be able to grow forever and ever and ever without breaking the ability of it to store the proof of work. It stores it in 256 bit number, which is again, as big as all the atoms in the universe so it could store the energy of, for mining of, for, of the sun and many other stars combined. So, and it encourages us to become masters of energy capture. And like the more energy you capture, the more dominant a player you can be in mining Bitcoin. And so there's this infinite competition to produce abundance of energy that doesn't destroy us because you don't want to destroy yourself. And ultimately, the idea behind this is, well, we should be, we should be able to become powerful enough, thanks to Bitcoin's incentives, to be able to move around stellar bodies, like to be able to move around asteroids, ultimately moons, planets, maybe even the sun itself. And if we can move the sun itself, then we could actually turn our whole solar system into a starship, and move it through, move our whole solar system through space. We don't have to leave earth. Earth is coming along for the ride with the sun. We can go wherever we want to in the galaxy. Um, it takes a long time, right? It takes a long time to figure out how to capture that power. It takes a long time to go from point A to point B because as, as much as I'm wearing a USS Enterprise shirt, they invented warp speed, which, which seems to contradict the laws of physics. So they could get from one star to another during an episode, but that's not, that's not how the universe seems to be set up. The distances between stars are vast and it takes millions of years to get from here to there. So the idea of going in a tin can uh, from one star to another is not impractical, but staying on earth while the earth follows the sun in tow in, of its gravitation to another star is possible. It just takes a hundred million years. You have to lower your time preference. And wouldn't that be something uh, amazing to do, not just for the tourist value, but for the fact that it would actually save the earth because the sun is going to wear out, run out of gas in 400 million years or something like that. It seems like forever, but that time will come. And uh, if we can actually reposition the earth 
like move towards a younger star and reposition the Earth in orbit around a younger star, because we have the power to do that, thanks to our power mastery and our survival as a species, then we can save the whole Earth. You know, it doesn't have to die in 400 or 500 or 600 million years. It can get another, a new life around another star. And, and once you figure out how to do this, you can repeat it till the heat death of the universe, you know, for trillions and trillions of years. So it's a really amazing idea. Um, and I, I think you can tell incredible stories around it. But I, I've been struggling to do it. it. This has been a challenge for me that is like, I'm excited about it. I've written bits and pieces and different perspectives on it. But I'm overwhelmed by the challenge of telling a story of that of that epic a magnitude. So I'm I'm still stuck, <laughs> and it's like here's this project that's going to be the death of me because every time I try to work on it, I inch forward and then I feel dread that I can't accomplish it. Yeah, well, I I that is probably uh, the grandest timeline I've heard of in in a story, mm -hmm. uh, and is the premise that because there is this money that's built to last forever right this built to last and be sound forever that's what enables humanity to make in this part, type of progress in, in so that's one condition the, the other condition is that this money is fueled by an insatiable demand for energy and so the more like in order to move the sun that takes a lot of energy you have to capture the energy of the sun what's the incentive to do so uh, and and ultimately well if 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 the incentive is money, then that's incentive enough for humans because humans do love money, right? Like, you know, it's the thing that keeps us going. And the more value, we, the more energy we create, like the beauty of having money that's tied to energy is energy is really our source of wealth. Like if you think about if you have a nice house, it didn't just build itself. It took a lot of energy to build it. It took energy to cut down the trees and extract the materials and bring them all to where you are and for people to put them up and assemble them together. It's all about energy. So our wealth is our energy and we have no idea what we might be able to produce, what kind of wealth we might be able to create if we are actually able to capture all of the energy potential that the earth provides, that the sun provides. This is something that's often referred to as the Kardashev scale or the scientist who said, well, you know, there's different kinds of potential species in the galaxy. One is a level one, which we're not even at yet, which has mastered the way to capture all the energy of their planet. Another, the level two would be that has managed to capture all the energy of their star. And then the third would be a civilization that's managed to capture all the energy of their galaxy. So of all the stars in the galaxy, like such a civilization, if one existed, if we have the potential to become that, is a civilization that takes billions of years to come into being and many aspects of it never connect with each other because the vast distances of the size of a galaxy are absolutely colossal. So there are lots of really cool uh, rabbit holes to go down in thinking about those things. But it occurred to me one time when I was thinking about Bitcoin, it's like, wow, this thing is actually going to turn around our view of energy because right now energy is vilified. It's a very easy to produce. I shouldn't say it's very easy. It's ultimately within the path of our future to produce ridiculously vast amounts of clean, undestructive energy. And, and when we are able to do that, we'll be able to direct the energy to all sorts of causes, our own wealth, but also ultimately our own salvation, saving, saving the planet over the course of hundreds of millions of years. It's just lower your time preference, right? And I think that's the interesting aspect of this thought exercise. If you lower your time preference, 
logarithmically, exponentially, you know, first, first, instead of thinking about tomorrow, you think about next year. And then instead of thinking about next year, you think about your lifetime. And instead of thinking about your lifetime, you think about your heirs and you think about, you know, the next hundred generations, because we, we end up with these, with having something that doesn't break down Bitcoin and encourages us to have more energy, the potential is unlimited. And so you can actually think about this future, right? Michael Saylor actually talks about this. He talks about time locking Bitcoin to the future so that you can direct your energy, your will here today into actions that take place in the future. And I think that's the kind of, I'm trying to just blow that out beyond the wildest imagination. Like let's take it to prevent the end of the earth uh, at the time when the sun burns out. So that, that's kind of the inspiration of the concrete aspects of the story for them. And will, did you say you're thinking about making this into uh, some sort of video format? Or, not, uh, like, you know, I'd, I'd love to do, <laughs> like, I don't even have um, the full uh, treatment ready. I don't know how to present this story. There's so many different ways I have. I have partially written something that was originally going to be a novel, but became the novel is not exactly the right form to describe it in maybe like an epic myth um of some of some sort so i don't really know exactly how to present i'm not skilled enough yet to present it in its finality but the challenge of writing this story will hopefully develop the skill within me um if i can figure out how to do it all it's there's a personal growth uh challenge for me but i have lots of other things i'm doing at the same time in my life too i'm not 100 percent dedicated to this thing so maybe for the last part of our conversation, Tomo, why don't we move from the sublime to the slightly more banal, which is how, you know, implementation details, right? So you talk about film or video, and to me, it's an incredibly powerful storytelling medium because you have a multidimensional canvas, mm -hmm. right? You can play with space and time yeah. and all sorts of things that, I mean, you know, books and writing are pow incredibly powerful in and of themselves, but video just allows you to expand yeah quite a bit more now so to be able to tell a grand story like like the one that you're talking about right this 100 million years or maybe even a simpler story right maybe a story about inner space right a, a person rather than outer space mm -hmm. but someone's spiritual journey mm -hmm. how would one go about uh funding and and building something like this is there an appetite have, have you noticed for films and bitcoin there's a lot of um there's a lot of people who like I, i've I've been involved in two short films, one significantly more popular than the other. Uh, Bitcoin is generational wealth, but Bitcoin oh, yeah. is beautiful, has had a lot of positive feedback too. It's just a much shorter piece. Um, and the way, you know, and I'm not the expert. I don't, I don't come from a filmmaking background. I was asked by uh, Bitcoin is generational wealth. It's kind of like I, I fell ass backwards into everything that made that happen. I didn't even have the idea to write the story. It was, Louis Liu from Mises Capital, who's, who asked me to write something about Bitcoin being generational wealth, uh, because that was a topic that was near and dear to his heart. And so when I finally wrote the piece and I read it to myself, I was like, you know, this could make an interesting movie. Louis, would you help us make a movie out of it? And he was enthusiastic about that. And I had just met a director the week before that happened. So I asked him if he wanted to make it. And he said, yes, he just needed an editor. And so the next Bitcoin meetup we went to, lo and behold, an editor shows up and, and then the whole thing got made. And th there were a few other really nice things to how it happened. So uh, sometimes the universe just hands you something on a silver platter, which it did for me with that case, which, which maybe was a, a, a bit of a, 
you know, not the best thing to have happened because I didn't really have to work for it. And so I don't know the answer to the question of what I need to do to make everything come together. I've, I've, I've got a lot of ideas like this science fiction idea and musicals and stories about the background of Satoshi. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, cans that I've got open that I don't know how to bring them to fruition. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually hopeful that in the next bull market, as the enthusiasm rises, as the cap capital availability for doing doing artistic projects rises, uh, people will want to do these things not just for the sake of fueling the bull market, but because they actually want to leave a mark, create create some genuinely amazing art that represents the values of uh, Bitcoiners and the Bitcoin civilization, which will help be be you know some of the seminal works. Uh, not it might some I might have something to do with it. Others might have. Uh, others certainly will have something to do with it. But I think any culture of any value has always left behind great monuments, uh, great artworks, great buildings, great whatever. And and I think this is the question is to say, okay, what will be the early and yet seminal achievements of the Bitcoin community uh, that are cultural? And, you know, if I, get, if I get to play a part in that, I'd be really honored. Um, and, and if I don't, I'd st I still will be uh, greatly in appreciation of it. And maybe we'll have some influence on some of the things that get produced. But I'm, I'm very excited about the cultural aspects of Bitcoin, because I think it is ultimately a cultural movement, a movement towards those things that actually are about the human, the greatness of the human spirit, the potential of the human spirit, the positive aspect of the human spirit. Like we have two sides, we have our dark side, we have our weaknesses, and we have this great potential and these great strengths. And I think Bitcoin is saying, be your best. Um, and so, well, you know, to build buildings that say, be, you know, this is the best we can do to make artworks that are the best we can do. That was something that was certainly captured in the Renaissance, right? That period of history, you look at their sculptures and their buildings that are still standing and, and they're amazing, amazing compared to what we've built in the last 50 years when our culture has been more pessimistic and more cynical about what human beings actually are. So it'll be, it should be a stark contrast uh, between what Bitcoiners develop and what uh, fiat culture has, has brought about. So I can't wait. I can't wait to listen to the music. I can't wait to see the sculptures. I can't wait to hear the stories, maybe even get involved in writing one or two of them. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, we haven't, uh, we've yet to see the bit, the Sistine Chapel, uh, transposed into yeah. the Bitcoin world, yes. right? Uh, we'd certainly love to see something like that. Uh, we, we, we have metaphoric monuments, uh, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. right? Satoshi's treasure, yeah. right? His, his wallet is a, is a, is a metaphor, a metaphorical monument to selflessness and to all the, all the values that we strive yeah. for, right? Yeah. Uh, as we, as we go through this Bitcoin spiritual journey, but I think seeing right. that transposed to something more physical. Um, it, I hope this is the bull market that triggers that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I, I, so I think we're in the early days, but we're starting to see some, some real beauty, right? Like you see the contrast, I shout out to a, a friend of mine and whose work I admire. You take a look at the contrast of the detail, uh, like the attention to detail and precision and clockworkness and fidelity an insight of something like the full node sculpture that Fractal and Crypt, the artist did. Michael Saylor has one version of it hanging behind him in his interview office. But if, you know, for people who aren't familiar, well, actually, you know, this little thing behind me right here, 
is uh, is something that Fractal Encrypt did. It's just a little thing, but he does these beautiful artworks uh, that are inspired by, and you can see how they're inspired by Bitcoin. The, the, again, the precision clockwork, everything fitting in perfectly, nature of these things with equations and energy all coming together. I think that's this early example of capturing and concretizing the spirit of what Bitcoin as an entity and a culture stand for, um, are comprised of and stand for. And so the more we start to see works of that nature or works inspired by those ideas, the more we can start to say, you know what, this movement has its own culture. Um, and then we'll, and then we'll see how that translates into architecture. You know, again, I think Bitcoiners have a connection to nature that maybe no other advanced culture has had before, like no other uh, industrial culture has had before. Industry has been kind of this separate thing from nature. It's it's master nature to concrete it over, to clear cut forests and build a dam and do all these other things. Bitcoiners want to live in harmony with nature and peace with nature. There's an environmental component to it. And so I think seeing how organic our architecture and our art becomes is uh, is is quite possibly going to be a big part of it. We're very early right now, right? We don't have a Bitcoin architect yet uh, who's heroically building these things, but maybe we do. Uh, maybe we just haven't noticed him yet or her yet. Well, you certainly are architecting a culture and you're a pioneer in that, Toma, um, in um, drawing more people into Bitcoin through your stories. Um, and uh, well, thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for... Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to have you back on maybe in a few months to see how our stories are evolving. That sounds like a great idea. Hold my feet to the fire. Terrific. Well, thanks again, Avi. It's been a yeah, pleasure. Indeed. Yep, likewise. Thanks, Tomo.